Hello, Erica. Hello, Stephen. You're sleepy a little bit. It's sleepy Doctor Who once again. I am fading right out. It's been a day, though, hasn't it? It has been quite a day. I think that's part of why I'm so exhausted. Because I, Even before I got tired, I was just wigged out and just out of it. And yeah, I'm I'm still kind of overwhelmed and weirded out and stuff. I can't even say it. I can't even say why. Because tonight, we're recording this um, past midnight now, our time, uh, earlier tonight, uh, Uncanny Magazine, for which we edit the podcast and work on, won the Hugo Award for Best Semi-Prozine. So we're now Hugo Award winners. How's that feel? I keep crying every time I think about it, not in a bad way, just in an overwhelmed with emotions uh, good way, because I, I grew up in a house of geeks, and our, our downstairs was filled with bookshelves, and many of those bookshelves had prominent, uh, you know, the, the collected Hugo works for, you know, best short stories from this year to that year, and the novellas and the novelettes, and like, to me... <clears throat> That was just always this amazing, exalted award that only the best things get to have the the Hugo thing on the cover. Um, and yeah, so it was just that it was it was not the kind of thing that I thought I would ever win any like I actually genuinely thought I had a better chance of winning an Oscar in my life <laughs> than a Hugo award. I am not lying. And and honestly, like, this is the one I would choose. I'm curious as to which Oscar you thought you win. Like, which category do you think? Oh, I don't know. I oh. mean, I was a little kid. I probably wanted to win for Best Actress or something. Oh, I see. You didn't actually calculate the odds for this is what you're saying. <laughs> I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> like, maybe Best Original Sound. I might be up for that, maybe. You know? I, I don't know. Maybe I could have become a set designer or a computer programmer or something. This is, keep in mind, we're talking, this is the 80s here. That's true. There were no such thing as computers in the 1980s. Oh, shush. There were two. Mm-hmm. There were two computers, the IBM and... Oh, never mind. So, yeah. So, that happened. So, now you're just sort of like coming down after this. But we wanted to record at least one episode. Because we haven't recorded Lazy Doctor Who for like... A while. A couple weeks or something like that since the Myth Mikers ended. It would be unlazy to keep track of stats that are specific like that. And I am super lazy right now, so I have no idea. I know you're lazy, but I have been so looking forward to doing the Daleks master plan that I have I took out, once we were done, the Myth Makers. In fact, I think once we were watching Clash of the Titans <laughs> for our last episode, I took the uh, DVD uh, of Dalek's Master Plan and place it on the coffee table as if to say, not to say, okay, you know, hint, hint, let's get to recording this thing, but uh, just I'm very looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do two episodes tonight, but mm-hmm. alas, uh, you winding down means we only do one. I'm so exhausted. When you said, can we, you didn't even say, do you want to watch the next one? You said, which you never do. Can we please watch the next episode? And I wanted to say yes, but I was having trouble keeping my eyes open just from sheer tiredness during the first episode. So I I would hate for my you know sleepiness to get in the way of me actually processing some of the stuff that is happening in this story. So alas, this is it for tonight, folks. That's okay. I'll take what I can get. But uh, what did then did you think of uh, The Nightmare Begins, episode one of the Daleks Master Plan? 
Well, remember, this is not my first time right. through, but this is my first time with any kind of visual representation at all. I never watched a recon of this. I only listened to the BBC audio that had Peter Purvis's linking narration, which incidentally, the, the recon that we're watching also has Peter Purvis's linking narration. And uh, I'm still enjoying it. I enjoyed it the first time. The I guess I'll start with the the oh dear goodness, I didn't realize part of this. And that's that I didn't realize that Mavic Chen was totally yellow face or yeah. brown face. I mean, it's it's actually hard to tell. And while this story works so much better in audio form because you don't have to see that uh, uncomfortable imagery. And don't give me the usual, it was 1960, whatever. Yes, I know, but that doesn't make it any less crappy as, oh, I can't remember who it was, but... Somebody, and I will edit this uh, a little bit, somebody was saying that, you know, if somebody pooped in a a water tank 100 years ago, there's still poop in the water tank 100 years later. (laughs) Yep. I I don't don't quite... Okay. <laughs> if it was if it was bad, right? You know, it was it was, a, it was not a good thing. No. Um, just because it was a long time ago doesn't necessarily mean that it's you know that that yeah. that's mm-hmm. true. We don't watch breakfast at Tiffany's and go, oh Mickey Rooney, oh well, that was just 1961 for you. Mm-hmm. No, no, it was uncomfortable. But uh, in audio, I didn't know that. So yeah, because you get Kevin Stoney, who was like awesome to listen to, and. Mm-hmm. You can sort of, you know. And I mean, I've seen Kevin Stoney on screen and other things, so I know that he's a really good actor. Uh, but yeah, so so getting that out of the way, and that's, you know, it's a, a big sore thumb to stick out, but if I'm able to ignore that, wow, what an exciting story. This yeah. just, it starts out so, uh, I mean, first of all, we have Brett Vian, who I will, I will like lay my biases out on the table right now, having seen, heard this before. I love him so much. And maybe not just because he's Nick Courtney, but uh-huh. uh, but that doesn't hurt at all. Actually, I had a moment where when the TARDIS appears and he's there, my like the the instinct at the <laughs> deepest part of my soul was like, oh, he should be happy now because he hears that sound and the TARDIS appears and he knows everything's going to be okay. And it's like, oh no no no, not the same guy. No, but you wanted to believe it is though, so. and you sort of think like maybe this is just uh, the brigadier before he was taken over by the brigadier, and so he doesn't quite realize. No, nothing like that. That's the dumbest headcanon I have ever heard. Okay. <laughs> no, he's a different character. I'm fine with that. I okay. like Brett Vian as a character. I like Brigadier Alistair Gordon Lethbridge Stewart as a character. Mm-hmm. They are separate people who just happen to look the same just like nissa looks like Anne, and the 12th doctor looks like the dude from from pompeii and many many others look many. like many many others yeah. in the course of doctor who especially in a douglas camfield story mm-hmm. which we're watching right now because i think uh, nicholas courtney was known to douglas camfield i believe at the time this is why he was cast in this and why he was cast subsequently in the web of fear uh, which we'll get to, of course, in a while. Um, I, and then, yeah, long story short, he was in that. I also really liked the two, I don't remember their names, but the two workers in the, um, the, the what like, was it, a like, receiving station? Yeah, space control, we'll call it. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, just the, the little... Um, 
banter between them talking one of them wants to watch sports of some sort and mm-hmm. the other one wants to watch the news because she's a fan of Mavic Chen we've got we've got fandom going on in this episode like she's she's a fan she wants to watch her favorite dude and it reminded me a little bit of like a Robert Holmes script where you really get a good idea of who these characters are in just a very short scene with a few lines and I thought it just it felt very not quite domestic, mm-hmm. but just sort of like homey, and you know, this is this is their job. This, they're, they, yeah, it was it was really cool, and it also at the same time gave us the exposition backstory of who Mavic Chen is, what his place in the solar system is, how important he is. It was such a non-exposition dumpy way to give us a bunch of exposition. It was just so clever. So rare for Doctor Who mm-hmm. to do it that way to have someone watching something on TV. I love to know how they actually shot that if like they had pre-filmed the Mavic Chen interview or something and have that up on the screen or something to be played back or did they play it live in this is something I wonder about I'd go one step further and you talk about Robert Holmes sort of like a way of sort of getting into the universe I thought that with a couple more zingers and a little more fast-paced dialogue in there I'd go so far as to say that was Chris Boucher-esque Ooh. he of course who um wrote three episodes of Doctor Who, but is also famous for script editing uh, uh, all four seasons of Blake 7 and had that pattern, that uh, mm-hmm. that banter down quite nicely. You know what I mean? You, mm-hmm. Did you pick that up too at all when I just reckon, when I just said it now? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, Chris Boucher didn't jump to my mind immediately, but as soon as you say that, I, I recognize it. I do feel like their banter would have need to have been tightened up quite a bit, a bit. to be... To be to to hit the notes that is that are really his hallmark, but it is that same kind of thing where you have two characters just being themselves, going back and forth, and and talking, and and what they are imparting is more a sense of the world that we're living in than any information. It's the screen stuff that's giving the information. Mm-hmm. I I did like the um the rhythm between them though. Mm-hmm. I I do credit Douglas Camfield for that. This is his uh, his mm-hmm. return to Doctor Who after directing Time. Medler mm-hmm. at the end of the previous season and this is a reason why this is one of my favorite <laughs> stories possibly my favorite Hartnell story of all time actually because Douglas Canfield has a hand in it and you can see right away because let's look at it this way um, apart from a couple episodes of the original Dalek uh, serial every single Dalek appearance to date apart from Mission of the Unknown, which we didn't have a chance to look at, has been directed by Richard Martin. So now we get mm-hmm. Douglas Camfield. What I love about this story, it's a Terry Nation story that features the Daleks, and there's no shock um, appearance, mm-hmm. shock in quotes, right. of a Dalek at the end of episode one, as is often the case. We, we see them, the first shot of the Dalek is when Kurt uh, is running around the jungle and stuff, and he drops to his knees and our first sight of the Dalek is him looking up at it. And it looks so scary, mm-hmm. dominating, pointing the gun down at him. Mm-hmm. Douglas Campfield. Yeah, that is impressive. And also um, another nod to Terry nation, uh, in the characterization department. Um, Kurt was at his friend yeah, I think so, yeah. or Kirk or Kurt, Kurt Gantry. Kurt Gantry. I want to call him Kurt Gantry for some reason, but you know. Maybe. Um, so anyway, that's another nice sort of. You know what kind of a character Brett Vian is because he really is insistent on not leaving his friend behind, mm-hmm. and then his friend is. You know, I I like the idea. I. 
I think for me, it would have worked a little better if he would have pointed the gun at his own head and said, I'm just going to kill myself if you don't walk away. Uh, but whatever, it worked out fine. He points the gun at Brett and, you know, he's he's serious about it. So poor poor Brett Vine has to leave his friend behind. What a what an awful decision that mm-hmm. has to be. You know, so we we get to see this character in the midst of turmoil right right at the very beginning. Yeah, um, you were you were asking me during the course of the episode uh, why some of it was moving pictures. Um, back in I think it was 1992 when they were making Resistance is Useless, which is like a little 30 minute clip show on BBC Four, BBC Two, or something. I can't remember which. Sort of a clip show of of Doctor Who and stuff, which was quite a thing at the time because you know three years after the show ended, and it was like an actual TV special based on Doctor Who. And I remember watching here. Anyway, when they were doing research, looking around for stuff, they found film trims, 35 millimeter film trims. We really watched those on pristine quality on the Lost in Time box set, as opposed to the recon that we just watched. But they found film trims from I think the episodes one and. Two of Dalek's master plan. So that's what that's from. That's actual film footage. So all the Ealing film stuff that they did for those first two episodes um, has been spliced back into the recon episode. So that's why we were not only able to watch uh, that cool spar ship uh, land on the pattern, but also see the uh, the first um, shot of the Dalek in this story. That was really cool. I was I was surprised to see movement. I love the model, the model of that ship. It's oh, awesome. God, that was so cool. Yeah. Um. And then, but at first, I mean, because in the Myth Makers, we had a couple of like you know fan fan videos, basically just taped off of or filmed off of television because they thought Stephen was dreamy or whatever. <laughs> That's uh, what I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So here, it's funny because the first person that you actually see here moving is uh his friend kurt and i was so i was just assuming this was another person setting up their their little film camera in front of their tv and it was just like this guy really that's that's the person that you're you're filming and obviously that wasn't the case but for a second i was really surprised like wow there's a super fan out there for for this random actor well it's what it's funny you mentioned that though because um later on episode seven which of course doesn't exist the only reason we have telesnaps of it is because one of the actors in it took pictures of it mostly of himself (laughs) in the actual episode Mm -hmm. um but we'll get to that when we get to it Oh, that is delightful. I, I quite like that. Thank you. Thank you, 1960s ego. Well, it, it was like, I think it was his first on-screen role for what it's worth. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No, I'm not, I'm not shaming in any way. Like ego, <laughs> yeah. ego isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think that's fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can tell you're perked up, but we're not going to watch uh, episode. Katarina, this is Katarina's first uh, full on <laughs> first uh, as a companion. What, what do you think of, of Katarina? Well, at this point, she... Th- there's not a lot to her here. She she doesn't have the opportunity to do anything. I mean, she was a handmaiden who was used to being bossed around, and it seems like she is kind of following along that path and just mm-hmm. doing what she's told, no matter who it is, being very sort of meek and mousy. And that's, you know, that's, some people are that way, and she just ended up on the TARDIS and, and is, is doing what she is told she's you know she's learned how to press the buttons to open the doors and stuff she th- she thinks she's on um the slow path to hell or heaven the afterlife basically 
Yep. And I, I think it's kind of interesting that the doctor has just, he's not even trying to talk her out of that at this point. And, but that's really, it, you know, it's kind of an expedient thing to do because Stephen is dying. I, okay, first, why is Stephen dying again? He was hurt in the battle mm-hmm. at the end of Mythmakers with Achilles? Was it Achilles? But, uh, okay, so he's poisoned somehow? That was the part I, I missed. I think he got poisoned somehow. I don't see, we haven't watched the Mythmaker in a while, so I don't remember <laughs> how. And plus, it was a recon, so I wasn't quite sure of how he was injured in that. It might have been a poison blade. I don't quite remember. Or was it just dirty blade or something and it's infected? I don't <laughs> yes. know. Not properly sterilized. <laughs> The swords of ancient Troy were. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I was confused about that a little bit at first. But okay, so Stephen's life is in danger and the doctor really does need to get help. He doesn't have time to stop and try to explain time travel and the future and space travel and, you know, extra dimen- dimensional like yeah. phone boxes, which she, she doesn't know what a police box is either. So there's no time for all that. So the easiest way to do it is to just kind of go along with her and say, you know, don't worry, we're not going to be getting to the, you know, the final mm-hmm. destination for, for a while, which that's true. And just, you know, here's what you need to do. Press this button to do this. Go and wait in the TARDIS. That is exactly the way that I would handle her. So I have no problem with the doctor doing that. It's just, it is, you can't help but feel a little bit bad for her because, you know, what? what it, she doesn't know any better. She doesn't know any better. And the actress, um, Adrienne Hill, probably thought, okay, I'm going to, oh, I guess I'm not a doctor who very long. They don't like me already, the character. So I guess we'll just keep going along with this. Did she know at this point that, that and spoilers if you haven't seen this one if you haven't seen this why are you listening to our podcast yeah. uh but th- did she know that she was going to be written out just not that many episodes in the future at this point well i'll put it this way um her last scene has already been filmed by the time this episode even gets recorded because they're pre-filming basically so Wait, how is her last scene filmed before her last scene before this is filmed? Because, well, they pre-filmed all the pre-filmed scenes. Usually how they made Doctor Who back in those days, at the beginning of each production block for each story, they would do all their pre-filming first. So like all the location stuff, all the stuff at Ealing Film Studios they would mm-hmm. do first. This is a massive 12-part story. So they did all the pre-filming for this, probably over a course of a week or two. Mm-hmm. And then they went into the studio and recorded each episode every single week. So all the stuff for her, her last scenes, are actually done on film. Okay, English is an imprecise language, and I just didn't understand that. So gotcha. her, so so her last, uh, her scene, which appears last in Doctor Who, yeah. was filmed before the scene which appears first in this story. Yes, okay. before the rest of the episodes were videotaped. That's supposed to be actually use videotape and film as a different thing, yeah. Okay, so yeah, that I guess that makes sense. If, so she did know that she was she was going to be out of here. Yeah. And uh, yeah, okay, thank you. Well, we'll get to that when we get to that, which is later on in this massive giant story. Um, I hope we can get to episode two soonish. No promises, but uh, but it's moving, moving pictures in that one. Yes, so I'm 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 eager to see what you think because, as you said, you've listened to this whole story, but you've never seen any of it. So this will be a very interesting experience because I don't think that many people have have listened to a story mm-hmm. apart from the Web of Fear, I guess, and the Enemy of the World, and then seen it. So yeah, 
I am I am excited too. I just I have I have a lot of podcast homework. You yep. know, we here we are on the Incomparable Network. Incomparable what is it? www.incomparable.com slash members. That's the one. If you want to become a member. Anyway, um so here we are on the Incomparable Network. I have like I don't know, eight hours of total party kill editing ahead of me of tomorrow yeah. and most of a book to finish for when we're recording later on. So I am I am keeping up keeping up my uh, side for for the good of the network, even though it means we're a little slow on this front. But hey, it's in the title. That's true, and uh, and you have to you have a proper job. And, That's right. And I don't. <laughs> I stay at home and edit podcasts um, for a meager living right now. That's my only mm-hmm. source of income. Um, along with doing podcasts like Lazy Doctor Who. Along with doing podcasts like Lazy Doctor Who, but tying it all around and winning Hugo Awards for editing podcasts, which is what we did tonight. We wanted to mm-hmm. put out at least another one episode. So we, we, we beat the incomparable podcast to the punch. Although I imagine you might talk about this on Verity too. I imagine eh, maybe not. Oh yeah, we, yeah. this will be somebody's happy thing for sure on Verity. That's I don't. True. I don't know that it will get mentioned on the Incomparable. No, probably not. <laughs> so we'll mention it here on Lazy Doctor Who, on the Incomparable Network. Woo, woo, indeed. <laughs> okay, until next time. Bye bye. Bye bye.